Hello. Hello. Hola. Hola. Bonjour. Здравствуйте. Bienvenidos and welcome to Radio Natura. Radio Natura. To Radio Natura. Voices from around the world, bringing you all things related to nature and sustainability. Rethinking what it means to live in peace with nature and imagining a brighter future. Brought to you by the Pax Natura Foundation. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Radio Natura. My name is Jordan Anderson and I'm sitting here with Hugh Bollinger, who is a board member of Pax Natura. He has a master's in biogeography and a PhD in environmental restoration from University of Colorado Boulder. Hugh, can you introduce yourself? Well, Jordan, good, good evening. Um, it's a pleasure for me to sit here and chat a little bit about restoration. It's an important topic, it's a big topic, and I hope your listeners will find it of interest. Well, thank you so much for joining us, doing this interview. Everyone will be very excited to hear what you have to say. So, tonight we're going to be talking about environmental restoration and ecological or ecological restoration. Uh, so, can you just talk about what are, I guess, some of the guiding principles or the most important principles of ecology in general? You know, what, what should people know about ecology? Wow, that's a big question. Um, well, it affects us all. I mean, we, we uh, obtain our sustenance from the environment, particularly food, oxygen, uh, um, materials, which we use for everything imaginable, um, except for petrochemical products. Um, they all come from natural sources. And so we're dependent upon that. And so we're dependent on the ecology that produced them or maintains the, them. Particularly the oceans, uh, we get a lot of fish from uh, the oceans and, and most are not sustainably uh, caught. They're, they're, far, they're harvested, not, not maintained. And so for people, uh, having some basic knowledge of ecology I think is uh, sort of an essential part of just getting through living on this planet. So just to start, Hugh, can you tell us what ecological restoration is? Where, where did that come from? What are, what are the guiding principles of it? Uh, happy to. Um, the concept of ecological restoration or environmental restoration is actually not very old. The, the Society for Ecological Restoration itself uh, didn't get founded until about 1988. But the science of ecology goes back earlier. Um, the definition that the society has put out there is it's a very good one, it's very basic, and it, it just says um, ecological restoration is the process of assisting the recovery of an ecosystem that has been degraded, damaged, or destroyed. It's straightforward. Mm -hmm. I personally like to make it a little bit more user-friendly, and we'll go back to ancient history where the Greeks themselves, during the classic period, 2,500 years ago, had a word for the family, the home, the property, which they called eoikos. I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly, but it basically is translated in, into English as ecos. And ecos is the root word for both ecology and economics. So if you put it in the context of ecological restoration, 
you're basically re restoring the house, rebuilding the house. And it requires two things, which combines both sides of the ecos Greek root. You need some tools, i.e. ecology, and you need some funding, some financial resources, economics to accomplish the goals, whatever those are. Having defined it, like I said, <clears throat> the, the society um, came into being in the Midwest in 1988. But its history, the history of ecology stretches back into the, basically the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, of course, Charles Darwin and the, the um, number of Europeans were working around the, the fringes of what became the science of ecology, but it didn't really form until right after the turn of the century. There was work being done in the UK by certain people, Finland, and in, particularly in the United States, where the discipline got uh, started uh, primarily by work by a couple of researchers at the University of Wisconsin. <clears throat> they became, it became known as the um, Wisconsin School of Ecology, and all the rest has flown from there. And the, the early work was building on the, this, the studies from Wisconsin to uh, elucidate what are called ecological principles. And there are a number of them, but there are some that are particularly, they're all important, but there's some that are very, very useful for uh, a restoration type of uh, application. Probably the most important, and which the folks in Wisconsin uncovered the, at initially, is what became known as succession. And succession is simply a process, whether it's a marsh, a prairie, a forest, whereby you start out with primary stages and they end up being some sort of climax condition of very multi multiple species and diverse. The, uh, the Wisconsin researchers uh, noticed that there were sand dunes around Lake Michigan, there were ponds in the, in the, the landscape, and slowly, slowly, species would come to colonize, stabilize the sand dune to um, convert the pond with reeds and then eventually it became a prairie and in some cases it became a forest. Mm -hmm. That's what succession is all about. It, it's primary stages leading to um, some sort of, of uh, stable um, composition of, of plants. Mm -hmm. So the, the stabilization is sort of the end result of the successional process. Um, and the, the climax is usually a very uh, long-ranging um, circumstance, unless it's disturbed in some capacity. The term ecosystem itself, which is a key component of um, the science, was not defined until 1935. So about 30 years, 20, 30 years after the science was starting to form, and it, a UK ecologist was the first one who coined ecosystem. So back to the root again, it's, it's a complex of lots of species of, of organized into a structure. And you can think of that as a, whatever structure you want. It can be a tropical rainforest, it can be a prairie, it can be a coastal uh, a marine zone. Right. They interact with each other. There are 
proportions which um, there are multiple interactions that occur within an ecosystem and then there are places where a system will interact with another one. And probably the simplest example would be a timber line where you have a forest and you have a tundra and there's a boundary zone which is called an ecotone and that's the tension. That's where the, the processes of um, succession actually can be seen the most clearly because they're fighting for each other, space. Uh, yeah. the, the tundra is fighting for taking land and the, the forest is fighting to take over some land and there's a zone where they're battling it out. You have to understand stages of a process before you can utilize that knowledge to perhaps repair something. And for example, if you, uh, there are spots in, in the tropics where uh, a tropical forest has been removed and a grassland has come in to colonize what had been a mountain of trees. Uh, it, it's what's called a disc climax. It's stable in, unto itself because it, the grasses prevent seedlings from establishing and starting, kick-starting the successional stages. Mm -hmm. There are ways to get around that, and that requires knowledge of the, the trees or the plants that you would use to restore the forest, and it's not going to happen overnight. So that's where succession was seen to, you need a, a kickstart to allow for the process to get going. So you talked for a minute about climax communities, uh, climax ecosystems. Can you define that a little further? Is that, so is that kind of the goal of restoration ecology or is it the goal of, is it the most desirable no, stage the, of an ecosystem? A climax, the, 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 you start with a successional stage and you end up with a climax stage. It's a process where one leads it to the other and the, the end result is stable. It maintains itself, it recycles itself, um, the species are diverse until it is disturbed in some way, a fire, um, avalanche, um, tornado, whatever it is, um, the climax forest maintains itself. And the climax ecosystem maintains itself. But for restoration, you're not necessarily, that's not necessarily the goal. The goal is getting the system started again, and whatever that system is so that um, you set the, the parameters in place to um, allow things to take on and, and do it themselves. Uh, going back to the, com to the mention of the tropical forest that turned into a grassland, um, <clears throat> there are certain trees that are, that shade, they, they planted, they fix nitrogen, they grow very fast, and they shade out the grasses. They allow then for seed dispersal in from remaining patches of the tropical forest to grow in, on now on ground that was once covered by grass. So you are allowing the system to, you're facilitating the system get, to start going again. Yes. But the, the trees you planted were, were just part of that process. And the goal in that case was to, to restore a forest, but you didn't have to do the whole thing. You just had to get it going, started. So the idea is stability at the end of the... Yes, the, the idea is stability, but, but the grassland, which had once been a tropical forest, was stable because it, the root systems were so tightly um, bound together, seedlings that might have fallen, seeds that might have fallen 
could not get through the grass. So you had to somehow get rid of, of the of the grasses before you could ever hopefully uh, in ho ever hope of getting a forest back. Mm -hmm. So in that case, there's certain tools, certain species that could be used to do that, that would shade out the and kill the grasses and, and allow then birds or mice or uh, things that brought in seeds into that, this new sort of semi-forest and allow the, the things to, to start going, coming back into a more complex system. Right, start the process of succession. Yes. Theoretically, if, this, if the idea is stability, can humans do that for our own purposes? I'm talking about regenerative, regenerative farming here or you know, sustainable farming, what people talk about. And some people say it's possible, some people say it's not. But if with the principles of ecology, could you not move a product, you know, a, an ecosystem that produces food, produces things that humans use into stability like that? I think that that, that question is still being tested. I don't, I don't think it can be really defined that it's success yet. There are people that are trying all kinds of combined um, ways of making agro-ecology um, uh, a, a functioning system, but so far it, it has worked mostly for um, horticultural crops, uh, strawberries, grapes, uh, a few things like that. It's still being tested on, on, on large scales and it's, the jury is still out. Uh, and there are lots of people trying, and I, I wish them well. There are even folks that are combining, um, changing what, from a commodity crop to specialty crops and, and trying to, to generate power on extra parts of their land. So it's sort of using um, a combination of ecological with new energy development. So there, there are all kinds of experiments underway, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that you can make a, a, a broad judgment yet. Very good. The jury's still out. We'll see. <laughs> Just to go back to what you said about restoring the house, it's, uh, that's kind of the object of restoration ecology, is to rebuild the house of an environment, one of these that you're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. You have to set goals. And so learning the stages of ecology allow you to then understand what goals you need to use, tools you need to use to reach that goal. And that's a critical component of restoration. At some point we'll get into a discussion of some case studies of how they are applied. Mm -hmm. But right now we're still you know, getting through some of the, the key components of, of understanding a system. Mm -hmm. um, Another one is a basic understanding of, of an ecosystem. Everything is recycled. Uh, and it's usually facilitated from de decay using fungi or other or insects, various microbes. They move the nutrients through the cycle of the, the entire system from the geosphere to the, to the biosphere. And it, once it's in a stable system, it just keeps cycling itself. Mm. Um, the, so nutrients, water, the biomass, the inorganic and the organic, they're all components of this system. And if you disturb it, then you've, you've, you've disrupted it. And so you have to determine how best can you get the cycle going again. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a key thing. Another one is uh, trophic levels. Trophic levels are um, in every ecosystem, Probably the, the 
they're basically food pyramids. But most likely, the, the one that's most understandable is in the ocean, <clears throat> where the bottom of the pyramid has lots and lots of really small stuff, fungi, well not fungi in the ocean, but bacteria, um, diatoms, and, uh, various algae that, that produce oxygen in the ocean. And then you build on top of that little fish and, and, and smaller organisms and larger fish and then larger and larger until you get to the top of the pyramid, which would be maybe a whale. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, and at the tops of the pyramids, there are fewer individuals and they're larger. At the bottom, they're lots and they're smaller. Mm -hmm. And they all are dependent on each other. If there's not enough small ones to feed the krill, the whales die, because mm -hmm. there's no food for them. Another one that's critically important are called keystone species. Um, they're a critical, component of a given system. Sometimes they are absolutely essential to that system. And a good example would be uh, wolves in Yellowstone. The, the wolf in the Rocky Mountains was eliminated back in the 1870s and 80s. They were completely eliminated and Yellowstone was no, no, was part of that. And over a number of years there was great debate uh, about how do we restore wolves to the park. Mm -hmm. And they fi finally, with all the voices that had been contending, they trapped uh, 20 or 30 Canadian uh, wolves and moved them into a part of the park and started releasing them. They were tagged and they followed the, the dynamics of this keystone species. Mm -hmm. And what happened uh, was, was amazing even to the ecologists who were following everything because they did not expect the system to re-equilibrate so quickly. Mm -hmm. It took about 30 years and the, the impact of the wolves was dramatic. It affected everything. The populations of elk, deer changed, foxes, the population adjusted, even aspen trees had, which had been predated by, uh, overgrazed by some of the, the the, the animals, mm -hmm. they started coming back along the creeks and the water regime started changing within the park, or in this area of the park called the Lamar Valley. And in 30 years, the top dog, as it were, changed the whole thing. And nobody expected that to be, this keystone species to be so impactful so quickly. Yeah, so I've actually read about this case study. It's a really amazing example of how, some the case study I read basically said that Introducing wolves back to Yellowstone had improved the rivers in a way that no one had ever thought. And what you just said is, yeah, it's how it's all. That was probably expected the, to be connected. Nobody even thought of that as a, as an outcome. Mm -hmm. They thought that the elk population would be affected, and they expected changes in the in the the the, the voles and smaller mammals. But they had no idea how impactful it would be on the plants and the rivers. Mm -hmm. That was a huge shock, and, and also the time that it, it was so rapid. So keystone species, they're, they're, they're a really critical component to an ecosystem. There's lots of other components, and maybe about 20 different principles, but not all of them are as useful for restoration purposes as opposed to a scientific analysis. But forest fragments uh, is a key element of of biogeography around the world, and it was first elucidated by a friend of mine, actually, his name was Tom Lovejoy. He worked for the World Wildlife Fund, 
And he was looking at how he coined the term biodiversity. That was his one of his contributions to the whole field. But um, he was he worked in Brazil mostly in areas of the Amazon that were being converted to, to pastures or for whatever reason. And he got the government to allow him to set up a series of experiments where he would save a hectare of rainforest, 10 hectares, 100, 1,000. So he has this sort of gradient of sizes of fragments of what had been the original forest surrounded by um, cultivated or grazing land. And what he did was measure the diversity of the species, whether it was insects or birds or snakes or mammals, whatever. Um, he looked at how stable the system was or wasn't. And what he showed was the species leaked out. They just became depauperate. Mm -hmm. That the system itself was held the diversity. Mm -hmm. And at some point, uh, the diversity was, it was too small to hold the diversity. And that fragmentary principle was really, really important and a critical addition to understanding of ecology. So that is to say, if you, if you break up an environment too much, it will damage, it will inevitably damage the species that live there. It, it'll, it, it'll degrade. Mm -hmm. It just automatically will degrade. Um, and that was, his work was only in the late 1970s. So again, it wasn't, it was even before ecological restoration became as a field itself. And um, later, there was, uh, or earlier, in the same decade, was a thing which was critically important in the whole science of ecology called punctuated equilibrium. And the, probably the most perfect example of that uh, is the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. So you had a stable system 66 million years ago of tropical forests of certain types of plants and trees. The asteroid came, completely punctuated the environment. It, it just, in a huge um, event, eliminated the, the whole structure. Mm -hmm. Mammals and flowering plants did exist back then, but they were, they were not by any ways dominant. And so when the dust settled, as it were, they found an entire open world to evolve to. So evolution was punctuated by an event. And it, it became, it was given this name by Stephen Jay Gould from Harvard in, in the early 70s when he, wor he was in, working in Africa and saw that uh, there were, a lake had been, a volcanic eruption had hit a lake and a population of, of snails actually, these micro little snails, had been, before the eruption, there were hundreds of species, and after the eruption, there were five. Hmm. So he, he gave it the, defined at that point as punctuated um, equilibrium. The equilibrium was damaged, and the five surviving ones had a whole new environment to colonize. By that definition, it sounds a lot like human activity can be considered punctuating the <laughs> circumstances. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, a, that's where repairs come in. <laughs> there's a lot of damage. It's quite true because there's so many places around from the United States to wherever you look, there are many, many damaged landscapes. So um, there are many opportunities to apply the principles back to how you restore the house, how you restore the ecos. We'll get into, I think, at some point, a series of case studies. Yeah, yeah. I think for our next 
Next episode, everyone listening, we've got some great case studies coming up with you. I, I, I thought a couple books might be useful for people who are just getting into this area of, um, of interest. or And two that come to mind uh, in particular, I'm sure uh, you've heard of the Sand County Almanac, Aldo Leopold. It's one of the seminal books of the not just the science, but the the art, if you will, of understanding how systems work together. Aldo Leopold uh, was written right after World War II, and it's it's become one of the most one of the most popular books that anybody could read about the environment. And he was an ecologist in the Forest Service um, who wrote. And the Sand County is a reference back to Wisconsin at the roots of the science where the Sand County was where the, the first successional stages were observed with sand dunes. It's That's a, where succession was discovered. First yeah. discovered. And so his almanac uh, looks now at, at going forward to at some of the first comments about how do you restore wildlife. In his case, he was a wildlife biologist. And it's a wonderful book. It uh, should be read by anybody, not just uh, people interested in uh, restoration. He's a wonderful writer. And the second one is more contemporary. It's called The Song of the Dodo. And that's by David Quammen. lives in Montana. And it's an entire treatise on the importance of evolution and ecosystems, particularly on islands. And islands are where you can study things so closely versus because they're isolated. They're, they're, they're separated from other places, whether it's by an ocean or a continent. You can have islands on uh, mountains that stick up out of a, out of a uh, desert. And so they have a totally different environment than the desert, just like an island has different than the, than the water. The Song of the Dodo is a reference to extinction and human-caused uh, extinctions on islands, of which the dodo was eliminated in the 17th century from Mauritius. Those sound like really good books. I don't have to read those myself. (laughs) Well, thank you, Hugh, for doing this with us. We really appreciate you. I really appreciate you speaking with me about this, and I hope everyone else has enjoyed listening. Thanks a lot. We hope you've all enjoyed this episode of Radio Natura. Join us for part two, where Hugh tells us about some relevant case studies in environmental restoration and some projects that he's been a part of. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to paxnatura.org or send us an email to podcast at paxnatura.org. Thanks, and see you next time.